TalkZone.com. Now, TalkZone presents Two Guys and a Mic, your mid-morning break sports talk show. It's a passionate yet lighthearted look at the world of sports, featuring the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joe Radwanski. They'll recap the games from yesterday, look ahead to the matchups tonight, and cover a lot more in between. Now, Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. No coach, no big dog again to me today, just me, Jordan Burnfield. JB in the house with you on the TalkZone.com. Thanks for joining us on this, what is it, Wednesday morning now? All the days seem to blend together for me. I've been so busy lately with 9,000 different things. It's like I just realized that New Year's Eve is coming up. It's tomorrow. Oh, my God. 2009 is ending. And we are happy to discuss on today's show any things you want to relive in terms of this year or this decade. If you're a Chicago sports fan, there wasn't much except for the Blackhawks' amazing playoff run that you might want to relive. I don't think you'd want to relive the Bears' season or the Bulls' misery except for that one week when they looked like a competent basketball team against an injured Celtics team in the playoffs and still lost. Or we could discuss the lovely season that was the 2009 Chicago Cubs or the White Sox. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, but uh, if you want to relive, relive anything from 2009, 888-463-6748. We're coming up on the end of this decade, which really is amazing to think. And, you know, there's been so many great athletic achievements, athletic performances. You've seen it on SportsCenter in terms of, you know what they've been what they've been counting down and athlete of the decade and all that sort of thing my question to you out there listening is would tiger woods still be your athlete of the decade because he's deserving of it or does the news of his recent transgressions with all these different women change your opinion and think make you think that the ap shouldn't have named him the athlete of the decade. That that might be something that you now feel strongly about. That, listen, Tiger made all these personal mistakes. I don't think he should be awarded with such an honor. 888-463-6748. In college buckets last night, John Wall, who seems like, I mean, there's going to be a, have to be an investigation if he doesn't get picked first in the upcoming NBA draft, made history last night at Kentucky and even though his historic feat was not quite the historic feat that the Indianapolis Colts were going for over last weekend, his coach, John Calipari, knew of the history that Wall was trying to achieve, and he made sure that Wall would get it even in a blood game by putting him back in. I'll explain that on the show. 888 48. The Pro Bowl rosters were named as well, and um, I will at some point in the show give you my way of solving the Pro Bowl forever, okay? The NFL has tried all these different things to try to make the Pro Bowl interesting. Well, it's not, and it stinks, and I will tell you how they could make it better. That's coming up at 888 463 67 
48. So I've given you lots of different things that we can talk about even on a sp- slow sports day. So never say that I come in unprepared, or at least never say that I don't come in prepared to ramble on for 57 minutes, because that I'm always capable of doing, whether or not I really have anything to talk about. It's really, you know, sports casting is a good job for me because I never really shut up anyways. I was always one of those kids that couldn't really keep quiet. So to have this be my job and to have me as somebody who has to talk constantly as a job, I really don't think that you could have found a better description of a job for me. You know, it's just I I, I don't really ever want to stop talking about it, about anything. And so there's so many different things we can talk about in the world of sports. I'm hoping that uh, our buddy Mark Carmen, who has been a frequent host of this fine radio program, will be joining us at some point. Being the really prepared host that I am, I called Mark to see if I could book him about nine minutes before we started to air the show. So I'll see if we can get in touch with them as he is set to call the Big Ten opener for Northwestern and Illinois tonight in Champaign. The number 25 Cats, their first rating in the AP Top 25 since 1968 or something like that. Either way, the Cats will put that on the line Tonight against Illinois, and Mark has the call, so we will try to get him on to preview uh, what should be a really good game. Uh, there were other good games in college basketball yesterday. A bunch of teams in the top 25 played. Uh, Syracuse and Seton Hall had a real good game, an 80-73 to win for my Orange. But there's a guy on Seton Hall that you may not have heard of, but you probably want to start learning who he is. Because this guy has been really good, and that's Jeremy Hazell. Uh, at some point in the show, we'll have to get into the way that he has performed. He dropped 38 points last night on Syracuse, and it's not even his season high. He had a 41-point game against West Virginia. So against two top six teams, Jeremy Hazell has been outstanding for Seton Hall. So things looking up for the Pirates out at the Prudential Center in New Jersey, a bunch of my friends were out there. If uh, if any of you are listening and you'd like to talk about the game, since you had a first-hand account of it, eight 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 four six three sixty seven forty eight. But I there's one thing I wanted to start with this morning, and and I wasn't really planning on talking about it that much, but I had to I had to start talking about it today because I was listening to the radio in the car this morning on my way in is sort of my quote-unquote prep for the show. And and I heard something that made me nervous as a Bears fan. And uh, those of you who have listened to me before know that I'm definitely not the glass-half-full guy. I'm definitely jaded for somebody who's 24. Coach likes to look at everything with rose-colored glasses and believe that athletes really play for the good of competition and fun and that it's going to be some kind of Disney movie. I don't buy any of that crap. But I will say this as uh, as, as we start uh, on this show today, and that is that I was hearing it being suggested this morning that because the Bears were able to pick up that 36-30 to victory over the Minnesota Vikings on Monday Night Football, that somehow Lovey Smith may have saved his job with the Chicago Bears. And let me just let that sink in for a minute, okay, Bears fans? Think about it. You guys stink all year. You're 5-9. and nine. Lovey would have pointed that out at least 15 times last week. He, he loves to start everything he says with, we're 5-9, and nine, we're 6-9. and nine. We, get, we know what your freaking record is, okay, Lovey? But if it's the case that he saved his job 
that the McCaskey family could now justify having Lovey Smith back for next season because they beat the Vikings in week, week 16 when the season was over and them winning was probably more of a product of them getting up for a big nationally televised football game than anything else. If that's really the the logic and the reasoning behind the fact that they would bring him back next year, then I will puke. That's just disgusting to me. Listen, when you make any kind of decision in terms of coaching in the NFL, there should never be a game, really, think about it, there should really never be a game, one single game, that vindicates a coach and brings him back unless that game is winning the Super Bowl. I mean, if you're put it this way, you have an eight and eight football or you have an eight and seven football team. Last week of the season you win a game and you go to the playoffs at nine and seven. Let's just say that's the case with a random Joe NFL team. Is that the reason to bring a coach back because you made the playoffs versus missing the playoffs for one game? If In fact, there were many reasons why people thought that coach should have been fired prior to that game. No, because you wouldn't keep a guy on because of one 60-minute performance. When you evaluate a coach, you evaluate him on his body of work throughout his tenure as the coach. And if you're going to bring back Lovey Smith, you're saying that, well, it's been okay that we haven't made the playoffs in three years. We're going to just hang on to that Super Bowl and we're going to let him stay because of one measly win against the Vikings. It's ridiculous. If anything, that should cost him his job. Right. Because if that's what they were capable of playing like all season, why didn't they? And it's on your shoulders as a coach because they didn't. I agree. Producer David Olson checking in, and that is you are exactly right. I mean, here's the thing. If it's the case, and I said this yesterday with Seth on Two Guys and a Mic, and I said to him, you know, where was this excellent spirited performance from the Bears all season? And when they won the game, granted, I hate Brett Favre. I mean, I, I can't be objective about Brett Favre. The guy just burned the Bears so many times for so many years, and then I got so tired of his whole prima donna act with his retirements and unretirements and ESPN camping out at his house in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. I was so sick of all that stuff regarding Brett Favre. But... Just because you beat him, okay, in one game, does not in any way, shape, or form, to me, suggest that you should bring back the head coach. Because, like Dave just said so well, where was this six weeks ago? Where was Tommy Harris? Why wasn't he able to rush the passer the way he did Monday night? Why wasn't the offensive line able to give Jay Cutler any time to throw over the last ten weeks? Why is it the case that Jay Cutler's best game of the season came in Week 16 when the team was out of the playoffs, that he finally could make these great throws that we all expected him to make? Why is it that it took 16 weeks to figure out that Devin Aromashadu might actually have talent and that he should play and that we had to keep running Devin Hester out there to drop deep balls? Why? I mean, if anything... That's the reason why you don't bring it back. Maybe this win makes it worse. I mean, cause you finally get effort from a team that didn't show any for the first, what, for the last eight, nine weeks. There is no justification 
if you're the Chicago Bears, to bring Lovey Smith back next year? There's none, okay? Any other franchise that goes to the Super Bowl one year and then three consecutive years after does not make the playoffs, any other franchise probably would have fired their head coach before this point. The Bears are a very loyal organization. They're also a very cheap organization. The Bears, bottom line, can eat that money and be just fine. I'm sick and tired of hearing all this stuff about how the Bears can't eat the $11 million on Smith's contract and the money on Ron Turner and Rod Marinelli and all these clowns that are coaching the team. The bottom line is the Bears have so much freaking money, it's not even funny, okay? They can spend whatever it takes to get rid of them and bring in a new coach, even if it means they've got to spend $10 million a year to get Bill Cowher here. Don't tell me they can't. They've got more revenue than any other team in town. They are floating. They Virginia McCaskey could make an Olympic-sized pool of $1 bills and swim in it every day. I'm not saying that I'd want to see that happen because she's old and that's disgusting. But if she wanted to, she could do that. And when you can do that, you're rich. And the bottom line is the Bears just don't want to eat that money because they've always been cheap. But if they had the Stones, and they really wanted to win football games, you fire Lovey Smith, and there should be absolutely no scenario in which after this season and when all the meetings happen and we get some report that leaks out on the radio or TV or the Internet or what have you, that Lovey Smith is returning because they really think things are looking up following that win over the over the Vikings, I will be so incredibly infuriated by that. It honestly, as a, I'm a Bears fan, I've been a diehard Bears fan my whole life, it would almost make me not want to watch him next year. It would. I mean, why would you want to watch a team that you know the same crap is going to happen next year? If you're telling, if you rehire Lovey Smith next year, you might as well just say the same movie you watched in 2009 is rerunning in 2010. The problems with the Bears, obviously the players need to perform. Obviously there have been underachievers. Obviously Jay Cutler has not looked good. But many of the problems with this Bears team, besides injuries and besides all the built-in excuses, are the fact that Lovey Smith continues to run a defense that is old and doesn't work anymore. I mean, that's just how I see it. I have not seen a dominant cover two defense in the NFL in years. And the reason is that teams have figured out how to beat it. And you're leaving too much to chance. You make defensive linemen do too much. Okay? You do. Because when you have defensive linemen that have to rush the passer on every play, you're not going to blitz. Okay? And you have to have Tommy Harris have a huge game. Or... Alex Brown or Adewale Agunlia or any of these guys have to have a big game for your defense to be successful. It's not a good defense because against a good offensive line, if they stop you, now your defense is worthless. And that's when you start seeing all this stuff about Matt Stafford throwing for 320 yards against the Bears and all this other crap. I just had to get that off my chest. If the Bears bring him back because of this win over Minnesota, it would be despicable. Despicable. And I hope it doesn't happen. 888-463-6748. What do you think? Do you think that because the Bears were able to get this win, should the Bears even entertain bringing back Lovey Smith next year? We're going to try to get Mark Carmen on 
from WGN and one of the fine hosts of this radio program after a timeout. We're going to talk Northwestern and Illinois. Kitties and Illini meeting in an in-state rivalry in the Big Ten opener tonight. Carmen comes on to preview it next on thetalkzone.com. This is the TalkZone.com. Two guys, the mic, but really just one guy, one mic. One guy and four mics. I've made this joke before, but it's true. I mean, when you're calling yourself two guys and a mic, you got to make fun of it sometime because there's normally two guys and two mics. Either way, Jordan Burnfield, JB in the house with you, talking all things sports. And like I mentioned in that brilliant tease I made going into the break, or at least I'll just say brilliant tease to pat myself on the back, we have Mark Carmen on the line to talk about the Northwestern and Illinois tilt coming up tonight. Carmen, what's going on? Jordan, great to be with you. And uh, I really think that the two guys in a mic, Moxie has just it, it, it just scratched the surface of where you can go with it. And I think it's always important to make fun of yourself. And I'm going to do my best in my role uh, with two guys in a mic to come up with uh, whimsical ways to call the title of the show exactly what it is. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And you and I have come up with many funny names to the show that we can't say on the air. Um, but uh, you are down in Champaign, the lovely and beautiful Champaign, on a nice drive off of 57, and then you got off at Neal Street, right, to, to get down to Champaign, if I, if I do remember myself. Isn't there like a little exit off 74 there? And uh, now you're getting ready to call this Northwestern and Illinois basketball game tonight. The Cats at number 25 in the AP poll for the first time in basically a half century. So uh, give us a little preview on what we're going to be seeing tonight from these two teams. Well, it's an awful exciting day for the Northwestern Wildcats, and as you mentioned, ranked for the first time since the 68-69 season, cracking the top 25. They've won nine straight. They're going for their 10th straight win, which would be, uh, you got to go back to 1930-31 to find that one, Jordan, when they won 14 straight and took the Big Ten title. So uh, this is a team that's highly confident in themselves right now, and really the way the season started, you lose Kevin Coble, their best player, you lose Jeff Ryan, their first guy off the bench, and you think that they're be, you know, maybe a 10-win team for the whole year. But somehow, some way, they found themselves in that Chicago Invitational Challenge when they beat a decent Notre Dame team and won the title, coming back from 10 down to beat Iowa State. 
And now the confidence has just come up with these guys. Juice Thompson, their best player, their leader, uh, just been red hot from the three-point line, shooting it at 43%. He's scoring just under 17 a game. And, and really, just they're not fearful, the Wildcats. They, they really feel like they can come in here and win. And you go back to last year, they won at Michigan State. They won at Purdue. So they, they have reason to have that confidence. Yeah, and this Northwestern team has really been exciting to watch. And you brought up Coble and Ryan being out, and you said that this team is very confident, but have they almost forgotten about those guys in a sense and the fact that, you know, this is what we are, and as we enter Big Ten play, we feel like we are just as good a team as we could have been? Or is there still some kind of thought in the back of these guys' minds that, you know, Look what we could be if we had Coble and Ryan out there, especially now that we're into Big Ten play. Well, I mean, I think it's impossible to get past you know that thought process completely. But it's a different team now because it's you know with Kevin, you would have had a guy who pretty much demands the ball a whole lot, and now they're just a lot more democratic. Now, that in a game where they're going to really need to get tough buckets, you're going to feel the miss of Kevin Coble. But when you know, right now you've got different guys stepping up. Drew Crawford, the freshman out of Naperville Central, he's had games where he scored 35 points, 22 points. That's that, that the most points ever scored by a, a Wildcat freshman at 35. He, he beat Billy McKinney's uh, record in the 70s, 30. He's got the most points of any freshman uh, in a game this season in all of college basketball. They're, they're back up at the two spot. Alex Marco Tulio is a great pure shooter who's averaging seven, but he's just a guy that seems to hit clutch shots when they need it. So, Different guys are getting uh, opportunities they probably wouldn't have gotten if Coble and Ryan were both healthy. So now I'm not saying that it's a benefit that they're gone, but the team has just evolved. We are talking with Mark Carmen, the voice of the Cats tonight on WGN, <laughs> as uh, the Northwestern Wildcats take their 10-1 and record into Champaign to take on the University of Illinois in the Big Ten opener. And, Carmen, it's, uh, you know, John Sherna to me, is a really interesting player for Northwestern because he, when you watch him play, he doesn't look like a guy who should be a really good college basketball player. You know what I mean? He looks like somebody that I could be seeing like at the grocery store, but he's a really excellent player for this Northwestern team. And I think he's going to provide some matchup issues for Illinois underneath. Well, interesting how much he matches up with Mike Davis tonight, who's the Lone starting forward in the Illini lineup, Davis leading the Big Ten at, with nine and eight rebounds per game. I know you're impressed by all these stats that I have at my fingertips. I Jordan. am. I am. I'm very impressed. I'm learning here. There you go. John Sherna, he's a wild cat. He's such a cute little kid, and you don't think he's a killer. But then he comes out, rear high 29 against Central Connecticut State in the Cats' last win, which was uh, last week. They haven't, they've been off. They'll be off for eight days by the time they tip it off tonight. And in the Chicago Invitational Challenge games that you were at, Jordan, you saw John Sherna play big I when did. the Cats needed it most. When the chips were down, they needed someone to score, and he was making tough plays down low. He can drive. He can uh, get off the floor. He was, at practice yesterday, he's throwing down some vicious one-hand dunks, taking off from uh, you know midway in the lane. This, this kid can do a lot of things. He can also shoot the three ball, though. If you look at the stats, it says he can't. He's at 25%, but he certainly is very confident stepping out there. So this guy, um, you know, he's going to be the Wildcats' best player by the time he's a senior. There's no question about it, unless they, you know, come up with some incredible recruit. 
he can do an awful lot of things. I love him. He's, a, he's an incredible talent. Yeah, he's he's really been fun to watch. And then uh, looking at the Illinois side for a second, Carmen, what have you heard in terms of the players and coaches' mindset with Alex Legion leaving the team? You, you know, Kentucky transfer, a lot of fanfare surrounding him when he came in. Really wasn't ever anything for Illinois. And now he's leaving the team. Does it really make much of a difference? And what are the guys saying about it? Well, I mean, this is a kid that averaged, you know, less than three a game, so I don't think it makes a huge impact, you know, on tonight's game or their season. But this is a case of, you know, sometimes in college basketball, you have kids being told the right things, and then sometimes you have kids being told the wrong things. And I don't know who's was leading Alex Legion and telling him to go to Kentucky or telling him to transfer to Illinois that he was some all-world player that was going to get huge minutes at these top schools, but obviously he's not that talented. So now you're, you know, this is, it's just really a sad case. I mean, he's a kid that's transferring out of his second school. He's going to sit out again. And where does he go to? By the way, uh, one recommendation, if Alex is listening, which we know he's not, but <laughs> Robert Morris College is a good spot for somebody like that. They do a great job with kids who have had you know, some issues. How about, Al, yeah, Al Brule could mold him into some kind of fantastic player. That's exactly right. He needs He's a reclamation project at this time. But as far as, you know, this, Year's team. I don't think it was a big surprise that he transferred. And Illinois as a whole, Jordan, they're very focused on the fact that they're not coming ready to play. And when you when you read comments from Bruce Weber saying that you know our we, this team lacks defensive mindset, I mean that's those are pretty damning statements. So I expect Illinois to come out tonight extremely motivated at the start and try to put it on the Wildcats in front of their home crowd as quickly as possible and kind of shake off those doldrums. They've lost their last two. Uh, the last game being Missouri by by a 13 point count, and they also uh, went down to Georgia. But they, their four losses, three of them have come by four or less. So it, it's not like this is an Illinois team that uh, doesn't that's lacking talent. Right, except for that Missouri game that was a beatdown, and has just made me really be extremely down on the Illinois Fighting Illini. But uh, Carmen, switching to the uh, Bears for a second because you're a maven of all things sports. <laughs> Um, I don't know if you heard me at the beginning of the show, and you probably didn't, but that's okay. I was saying that, you know, and I've been listening to some reports recently that there's a chance that, you know, the Bears win over Minnesota could somehow keep Lovey Smith in his job because they, things were looking up, and that might be the justification for the McCaskey family to not eat Lovey's contract and get rid of him. Is that the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard? Pretty much. I, I would think that. They should know whether the Bears win their last two or lose their next ten, whether they want Lovey as their coach. I mean, they've had him for what, how long now? Was this five, long, five years now, right? Yeah, lo- long enough. But, you know, I was a psychology major in college, Jordan. I'm sure that that's helped you out a lot in your in your career. It's You know, you always want to understand people. And at the <laughs> press conference, after the win against Minnesota, Lovey got up there and his voice cracked, and he was a little, I don't know if you saw this, and he was just a little rattled, it seemed like to me. And it was almost like my take on it, and this is just, you know, uh, you know, guy sitting in the corner, just my own opinion, I could be totally wrong. But it seemed to me like he almost knew that it, the end is coming for him. And that this was just, he was so proud of the team for playing hard and stepping up and showing heart that it, it, that it almost... And it brought him to near tears. Of course, I didn't have the guts to ask him the question myself, which I should have, but I, but I didn't. 
Um, that would have been a big from, spot for you right there. I mean, it, it, it was it was in my head. I just didn't fire it because I'm a wimp. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I, I I think that uh, I think that Lovey is is it, I, I don't see him coming back. I really don't. I hope not because it just would be just a disaster if he came back. Carmen, good luck on the call tonight. I will be listening. Hopefully, all of our listeners here, all you know, million of them will be listening as well. And uh, you know, let's uh, hope for a Cats win. We don't get to talk about the Bulls and the Pacers that you Ugh. put at the United Center last Are you time? kidding? Oh, God. Honestly, you know what? The only thing I'll say is good for Vinny Del Negro that he was able to get a win when he knows he's already been fired, right? They're in the playoffs, Jordan. Anything can happen. Yeah, but I mean, like, if you, me, and and David Olson and Coach and Big Dog put a team together, we could probably finish ninth in the East, right? I don't know about ninth, but maybe tenth, yes. Uh, Coach's talents are so minuscule that uh, we couldn't carry him. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Carmen. I'll talk to you later. You the man, Jordan. Thank you. All right. Mark Carmen from WGN Radio. He is on the call tonight for the Northwestern Illinois basketball game and Champagne as the 10 and 1 Cats. 10 and 1 Northwestern Wildcat basketball team, number 25 in the country, gets set to take on Illinois. Timeout will be right back. This is Two Guys a Mike on TalkZone.com. TalkZone.com, Jordan Burnfield with you until 11 o'clock, as we are always on from 10 to 11, except for on Thursdays when it turns into the Youth Sports Fan Forum with the same host of characters. But uh, today we just, uh, just me, so 888-463-6748, the phone number if you want to get in touch with the show. We have talked Lovey Smith and the Bears, we've talked Northwestern and Illinois, and and now I have something that I wanted to talk about, and I, and I mentioned at the very beginning of the show, and uh, you know, it, it made me think about it this morning when I saw the highlights of this game. I didn't see the Kentucky game last night. Kentucky played against the always formidable and difficult opponent that is Hartford, uh, and they deposited them 104-61, to obviously not much of a contest for UK, which is number three in the country and undefeated at this point. But there was a historical aspect for Kentucky basketball in this game 
that occurred last night, and it made me think of something that has recently happened in the NFL. Let me explain. Yesterday, John Wall, the fantastic freshman point guard for UK, who, who by all accounts and all experts and all the people that know more than me, seems to be the guy that is going to be the number one overall draft pick in the NBA draft come June next year. And yesterday, he was able to record 16 assists in the game for Kentucky, which gave him the record for the most assists by any player in a game in Kentucky history. Holy underwear! Now, exactly right. But now, if you if you think about it, it's pretty amazing that he was able to do that because think about the great history of Kentucky basketball. They're the winningest program in the history of NCAA basketball, and they've always been such a success that you would think that there may have been some guy in the past that would have had more than 15 assists. But I believe it was Travis Ford in 1992 who had set the assist record for 15 assists in a game at Kentucky until last night when John Wall got the record. Now, the reason why I bring this up is not to tout John Wall, but it's that the game was a blowout. Wall had 11 or so first-half assists. He got to 14 early in the second half, and in a game in which Kentucky was winning by 30, 40 points, that's usually the point in a college basketball game where the good team takes out its best players, they put the backups in, they put the walk-ons in, and then after this occurs, the game you know, is just a wash the rest of the game. You know, the the team that's been winning will end up winning by 20 or 30 points, but they get all their other guys into it. Good game. Thank you for playing starters. Nice job. You're out. Instead, John Calipari, knowing that Wall was very close to that assists record, put Wall back into the game later in the second half because he knew that John had an, a chance to break this record told his point guard, go in there, get the assists you need, and then I'm taking you out. He had the foresight to see that Wall was on pace to break this record. Not that it's some amazing, incredible record. We're not talking about a wins record. Still, though, a nice thing for a freshman for who he knows is not going to be here or not going to be at Kentucky after this season. He's going to be in the NBA. And allowed his guy to go back into the game dish up a couple more assists, get to 16, and then took him out. It reminded me of something recently in the NFL, of course, as the Colts were trying to go 16-0 and and trying to be the first team in the NFL to go 19-0 and and win the Super Bowl and shut up those annoying Miami Dolphins that have their champagne and sip it like they're gods of the universe every year. But... It brings up the point, and Seth and I got into it a little bit yesterday. Why couldn't Jim Caldwell, when the Jets went up on the Colts, have went to Peyton Manning and said, listen, I understand that it's a risk to put you back into the game because I don't want to get you hurt, even though Peyton Manning is the second most durable quarterback in in the NFL actively. Brett Favre has a streak for most consecutive games played, but Peyton Manning is second on that list. Why couldn't he have gone to Peyton Manning and said, listen, Peyton, I'm going to put you back in, see if you can put us ahead, and if you do that, we'll leave it up to the defense to try to win us this game. 
but we're going for 16-0. We have a chance to be undefeated. I understand the history and the importance of that history. And I'm going to let you go in there and play and try to win us the game. Why couldn't he have done that? Now, I know. I know what you're going to say. Jim Caldwell doesn't buy that. He's just concerned about the Super Bowl. Blah, 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 blah. John Calipari, in a far less important record, puts John Wall back into the game when, theoretically, Wall could get hurt and Kentucky would be screwed if Wall gets injured. But instead, put him back into the game because he understood the history of the moment and let him go get that record so now the John Wall not only will have a great season with more likelihood than not with this Kentucky basketball team, but will also hold that record that he had a chance to get in addition to having a great season. Why couldn't Peyton Manning have come back into the game or some of the offensive starters, Austin Colley or whoever, come back into the game Reggie Wayne, and just get the lead back. If you lose the game, you lose the game on the defense. But you're giving Peyton Manning another chance to get your team to 15-0. and 888-463-6748. I'm just saying. I know that people are going to say that they need to rest their starters because... They want to get to the Super Bowl, and ultimately that's what they need to do. But they're going to have a bye. They're going to have two weeks between their last regular season game and their playoff matchup, wherever it is, for whoever it is, in the divisional round since they bypassed the wild card round by being the number one overall seed. I mean, it's a bigger record. 16-0 and is far bigger than being the all-time assist leader in a single game at Kentucky. So why couldn't Jim Caldwell have understood that and, and allowed his quarterback to do that? Like I said yesterday, Peyton Manning is a guy who understands the history of football. If you don't think that he wanted to go 16-0 and and go 19-0 and to give himself a leg up on Tom Brady, who many people consider his rival as a quarterback in terms of where the two of them rank in the history of the NFL. And some people would put Tom Brady ahead of Peyton Manning right now. But I'll tell you something right now. If Peyton Manning had gone 19-0 and with the Colts, there would be no discussion anymore. Tom Brady never had a perfect season with the Patriots. He got close, but he didn't get it. And if Peyton Manning had been able to go 19-0 and and win the Super Bowl, that puts him on a level by himself, if you ask me. And Jim Caldwell just didn't care about the historical aspect, didn't care that his team had a very good chance to get that history, to be that team that would go 19-0. and And consequently, his team is now just another 14-1 and football team. And if they go 15-1 and and they win the Super Bowl, it's a great year. They won the Super Bowl. People will remember that. But they won't remember it like they would if they, if they went 19-0. and They won't. I mean, listen, there have been teams that have gone 15-1 and and won the Super Bowl. There's never been a team that's gone 19-0 and and won a Super Bowl. And I'm just not sure why Jim Caldwell would do that. I mean, I, I, you guy's trying to save his job. The guy is putting more pressure on his team to win the Super Bowl now than he would have before. I mean, think about it. If the Colts were 15-0 and right now, 
they're trying to get a perfect season. But because they forfeited that game against the Jets for all intents and purposes last week, now they have to win the Super Bowl. Because if they don't, they have admitted to forfeiting a game that may put the Jets in the playoffs. The Jets wouldn't even be in contention if the Colts had played that whole game because they would have won. The Jets would have no chance. They would have been eliminated last week. I mean, not only did the Colts ruin the history, but they also may have changed the playoff scenarios. You know what I want? You know what I hope happens now? I hope the, the Jets somehow make the playoffs and beat the Colts in the playoffs. How funny would that be? How great would that be? You want to forfeit games? Fine. Forfeit games, and then you'll lose to the team you forfeited to in the playoffs. You wouldn't be able to write a better script. Well, actually, you might. If you have Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre in the NFC Championship game for the Favre Bowl, that would be pretty cool, I have to say, even though I hate Favre. But the problem, then, is that I have to root for Favre because I can't root for the Packers. So I really hope that doesn't happen. In all likelihood, it will, just to make Bears fans' lives worse. I mean, maybe it's a complex, but think about it as a Cubs fan over the last 10 years. You had the Cubs choke in 03, the Red Sox end their curse in 04, the White Sox win in 05, the Cardinals win the series in 06, just to throw extra salt on the wood, the Red Sox do it again in 07, the Cubs choke in 08. It was a bad run. 2000s were a bad run, but I digress. Anyway, we'll have some other college basketball discussion coming up. We can talk about anything you want. Give me a call, 888-463-6748. Let me know you're alive. Give me an email if you want. You can't send it to Mike2Guys because I don't have the password. But if you want to send me an email, send me one at Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N, at burningonsports.com. B-E-R-N-I-N-G on sports.com. If you want to send me an email, you've got 18 minutes to do it. Two guys and a mic will be right back on the thetalkzone.com. In the Windy City, Jordan Burnfield with you on Two Guys and a Mic. JB in the house, as Coach would say. Thank you for joining us on today's show. 
we have had so many different topics. We've been all over the board. College basketball, NFL, Northwestern Illinois, all sorts of different stuff. But I actually just come ac- came across this story. A buddy of mine just sent me this this Yahoo Sports rumor that uh, I, I if this is true, I'm really going to be upset. Really, this is the quote by Mark J. Miller of Yahoo Sports. The Chicago Cubs are still looking to fill some holes, and rumor has it the team has talked to the agent for 38-year-old journeyman pitcher Jose Contreras about filling one of them, according to ESPN. The conversation was supposedly about Contreras being a long reliever or back-of-the-rotation starter. Oh, are you? Oh, oh, you had me and then you lost me. <laughs> Thank you, David Olson. I mean, really? Jose Contreras? What? I mean, what is going on at 1060 West Addison? Who has decided that Jose Contreras would be a welcomed addition to the Cubs? Well, I mean, Jose Contreras has not been good since, what, 2006? He was great with the 05 White Sox. He helped lead them to a World Series. Since 06, the guy has been a disaster. And why would you bring him in? Especially, especially with the fact that this team has seen Contreras on the opposite side of town. It's not like Jose Contreras was hiding in Oakland. He's been in Chicago for the last three years. Why would you bring him in? I mean, you've got Carlos Silva now because of the Bradley deal. Are you trying to acquire the worst Back into the rotation in the history of baseball? I mean, is Edgar Gonzalez available? That guy that lost 15 games for Arizona three years ago? I mean, my God. Jose Contreras. 6-13 and last year with a 492 ERA. The year that before. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't. Ugh. I mean, in 07, 10 and 17 with a 557 ERA. Like, what is going on? How could they even be considering him? It says he's 38 years old. Does that man look like he's 38 to you? David Olson, if you had to guess how old Jose Contreras looks, I mean, I would say he qualified for AARP at least 10 years ago, right? Mid to late 40s. But he looked like that when he was in his prime, too. So That's true, which means that he's probably 65 now. You want to bring in a 65-year-old bad pitcher? <sighs> Here come the Cubs in 2010. Here they come. ESPN also reporting that the Cubs have talked with the Colorado Rockies about a deal that would bring outfielder Ryan Spielborgs to the north side to replace Reed Johnson. I like Ryan Spiel- Spielborgs. He's okay. Is he better than Reed Johnson, though? Probably not. 241 last year, 8 home runs, 48 RBIs, 9 steals, 310 on base. The two years before, he hit 299 and 313, but in half seasons. I mean, what's wrong with Reed Johnson? Reed Johnson's a great defensive player. Why not bring him back? Right? I mean, if you could have Reed Johnson... Why would you, I just, 
sometimes this team just doesn't make sense. It's never too early or too late to talk about baseball, by the way. If you're wondering why we're talking baseball, hot stove season is 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, seven days a week in my world. And so, I mean, to me, this is just why, why Jose Contreras and, you know, why Ryan Spilborix? I, well, at least we have the Blackhawks, Chicago. At least we have the Blackhawks. 888-463-6748. 888-GO-FOR-IT. If you prefer the uh, letters to the numbers. I mentioned also at the beginning of the show that I wanted to get into something else, and I, I have a solution to fix the Pro Bowl, David Olson. I think it's ingenious. I don't think that there's a better way to fix the Pro Bowl than what I will propose. And I know that the NFL has realized that the game is the biggest snooze fest ever in February, and it's just an excuse for all the players to go to Hawaii, which I'm not blaming them for. I love Hawaii. I've been to Hawaii. I have no problem with them going to Hawaii. It's just it's a bad game, and nobody watches it. Now they've decided to move it to the week between the end of the regular portion of the postseason and the Super Bowl. And they're going to have it on the site of the Super Bowl in Miami at whatever they're calling that stadium. Now, Landshark Stadium, Joe Robbie Stadium, Pro Player Stadium, Dolphin Stadium, whatever the hell it is. But they're having the game there the week before the Super Bowl, which means that the players who are participating in the Super Bowl are not going to be able to play in the Pro Bowl. Dumb idea. Stupid. Here's how you fix the Pro Bowl. Eliminate it. You don't need the Pro Bowl. You have a very viable league, okay? You're making more money than any other sports league in the world. You have great ratings for these miserable games. Even when they stink, they get good ratings. And then the good games get amazing ratings every week. The playoffs get great ratings. People love football. You don't need the Pro Bowl. Here's how you fix it. You name the players to what would be a Pro Bowl roster. Give them the recognition of being an NFC All-Star, or you want to still call it Pro Bowler, fine, and an AFC Pro Bowler or All-Star. And then just don't have the game. Nobody would miss the Pro Bowl. If you got rid of the game, I cannot think of one person who would say, you know what, I really wish the Pro Bowl was on this year. I missed that game. Remember that game where the guys don't try hard and they don't rush the passer and they just throw the ball all over the field and the final score is like 47 to 45 and the coaches all wear Hawaiian shirts and some of the guys just find measly excuses to get out of the game so that they can wear Hawaiian shirts on the sideline and just have a week in Hawaii. Move the game back to Hawaii if you're going to keep the Pro Bowl, first of all, because that was the only good thing about it. If you're going to have it in Miami, it's just another football game. But the second part of it is, just don't have it. Really. If you built in to every NFL player's contract a bonus for if they get named to the Pro Bowl, it's like if you get named to like the all-first team in you know, college football or basketball. Obviously, those, well, those guys may or may not be getting paid. That's for a whole other discussion. But the point is, is that, you know, give them the recognition. Give them the award. Have them add that to their play, to their career resume, which may be able to help them, you know, get a job with some other team. You know, I'm a NFL player of five or six years, maybe 
people start to think I'm wearing down, but I've been named to the Pro Bowl or to the All-Star team three times. Gives you a little more cachet to get signed for more money with another team. Okay, fine. Give them the bonus in their contract. Name them to the team. Screw the game. You just don't need it. I, I really don't like, I don't know anybody that really loves the Pro Bowl. I mean, you, you look at the other All-Star games in sports. The Pro Bowl is by far the worst. It is. I mean, listen, the NFL may be the most popular league in America, but the Pro Bowl is by far the worst All-Star game of all of the major sports. Baseballs, to me, is still the best. Mid-season, I mean, regardless of the fact that, you know, some people don't like that the game counts for the World Series home field advantage and they think that's stupid, it does make the game a really interesting game for one night to see the best players in the world actually play with strategy. That, that to me, is a good thing, in a sense. But you have all the things surrounding the game, too, with the home run derby, and, you know, it's just a great event. It's a great event. The NBA All-Star Game, you know, doesn't have the cachet it used to, but still is fun to watch the guys run up and down the floor and make amazing alley-oops, and even though they really don't play defense until the last three or four minutes of the game, that's really no different from any other NBA game. So that, that to me... Is, is an interesting watch, and it's still fun to see the best players in the world on the court at the same time. Same thing with hockey, too. I mean, you get, you know, the, the hockey all-star game is, is like, uh, is like the basketball all-star game. There's not a lot of def, you know, there's not a lot of checking, there's not a lot of defense, you know, it's a lot of open ice skating and a lot of goals, and, you know, if you, as a goalie, play one period and you give up less than four goals, you succeeded, you know, but it's, it, the skills competition is fun. You know, those things are fun. I mean, the other all-star games have a lot going into them. But the Pro Bowl really has nothing surrounding it. They don't really have, like, a all-Madden skills competition that's of any value. They don't have, like, an old-timers game, which would actually be hilarious if you got to watch, like, 60-year-olds in pads playing football. Uh, that might be interesting. But, you know, they're just there isn't the cachet with the Pro Bowl. When you have the game at the end of the season and not during the season, it doesn't have the same... You know, it doesn't, you, you don't have the same vigor for it. I mean, after the Super Bowl ends, it's not a good, it's not a good, you know, replacement. It's like the football season is over after the Super Bowl. The only smart thing that they did do was they moved it between the end of the, uh, NFC Championship and AFC Championship and the Super Bowl because timing wise, if there was, I mean, that's a better time to have the game unless you were going to have like a one week bye in week eight or week nine. And play the game then. But it's just, you know, it, get rid of the Pro Bowl. It's my, uh, that's my little advice to all you out there who, you know, are wondering about this Pro Bowl. I mean, they name the rosters. If you're a Bears fan, then Lance Briggs made it whoopee. If that's your little cherry on top of this miserable, we're six and nine season, then, uh, good for you. You got him. And, and you know what? It's interesting, too, because the rosters are obviously good. But because of the Super Bowl, some of these guys are not going to play. You know, some of these guys will just not be in the game because they're going to be playing in the real game that matters. So if you're really excited about seeing Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers coming in for each other in the Pro Bowl, well, they may not that may not happen anyway because one of them could end up being in the Super Bowl. I hope neither one of them is, but I digress. 
888-463-6748. We could probably squeeze you in in the next minute or two if you want to try to get in a quick point before the end of the show. But uh, I want to thank Mark Carmen for coming on today as one of our guests. He was great. He is calling the Northwestern Illinois basketball game tonight on WGN if you are interested and you live in the area. And otherwise, uh, thank you to my producer, David Olson. He always does a fantastic job keeping this show up and running because without him, we're just a bunch of bumbling fools trying to talk about sports. My name is Jordan Burnfield. Thank you so much for listening to Two Guys and a Mic. I don't know who's in tomorrow or I would tell you. There's no show tomorrow. So have a happy new year. I will see you in 2010. This has been Two Guys and a Mic on the TalkZone.com.